Hey, well, thank you, Kevin. Uh, I'm Tim Rogers, lead pastor here at Grace Point Church. Thank you for making your way here. And if you're listening online later, thank you for doing that. I want to thank Derek Slaybaugh for speaking last Sunday while I was uh, a part of this trip to Atlanta where we shared so much of what's happening in our community with people around the nation who honestly have been very encouraged to hear the kind of collective impact work that's happening in our community. I'm grateful for your uh, willingness to go there to kind of a new frontier of figuring out how to partner with our school, with our businesses, with our social service organizations all across the board to make a lasting impact in our community. So really grateful for the energy and courage of this church and what you do. Um, so Derek, thank you again for that. Um, speaking of Atlanta, as we were going leaving our hotel to get back to the airport in Atlanta, we decided that we were going to take the MARTA, as they call it in Atlanta, which is the train that goes from our little airport to, or our little um, hotel, excuse me, to the airport. And if you've ever been on a train, anyone ever been on a train before? A little kind of commuter subway thing, all right? So it's a relatively mundane experience. Now, if you're brand new to it, it can be exciting. But by and large, um, it's relatively mundane until you get around a group of people um, who are having a little bit too much fun together and who it's still early in the morning, so nothing, anyway. Um, there's not, anyway, okay. About 15 people in the train who we knew who were a part of our group. And at one stop, someone decides, I'm not going to name any names, but someone decides, hey, I'm going to give... You, again, I'm not going to name any names, I'm going to give you five bucks if you get out of this train at the next stop, run around two doors down and get back in before the doors close and we take off to the airport. I'm not going to name any names. So on the team, someone decides, I'm going to raise that $1. Someone else is like, I'm going to raise that $2. And all of a sudden, we got about eight bucks going to get one guy off the train, run around outside the train, get back on the train before the train takes off to the airport, which was kind of fun to see. And so there's this kind of experience this energy on the train so we're at the door you know that it opens this guy runs out the train at, at the stop not the right stop by the way just at the stop runs out runs back around to the end of the car two doors down comes back in and makes it and we're cheering and everyone else on the train is like you dummies what is wrong with you stupid people and he made it back on the train and he collected the eight dollars and it was a great time and here's the here's the reality doing things even mundane things are always better done together, right? We're, we're just riding a train. But all of a sudden, when we do things with other people that we enjoy being with, and we know this principle holds, everything gets better about mundane experiences when you have fun people, friends to do them with, which is why you don't prefer to go out to dinner by yourself, which is why when you lose a spouse, you struggle to figure out, how am I going to do the things that I normally would like to do? Like, let's just go out for a meal. I don't really want to do that by myself. Because everything is better done together. And conversely, when you're going through hard times, it gets a little bit better to have people with you to help carry the burden of the hard times. I can't tell you how many people, when we do funerals here at the church, I can't tell you how many people say this almost verbatim quote of this. I don't know how people who don't have a church body like this get through these times. Now, the words change based on the person, but that's basically the story. I don't know how people get through the hardest stuff of life without people like you all to care for them. Because this is how God has made us, to be with one another, for one another, and supporting one another, both in the mundane things to make it more fun, but also in the hard times to make the burden of carrying the hard times a little easier to handle. Now, this is not just a good idea. This is not just uh, social science. This is what I think God has wired into us and created in us as people from the very beginning of time. 
And I think that these ideas are not just ideas that we've come up with or we've kind of figured out, but these are kind of built into us from the beginning. And so I want to talk this morning not just about being kind and not just about being good, because those are good things, but those are also kind of um, really elementary principles that we can understand. As we grow up, we know that it actually becomes harder to figure out how to support and care for one another in the hardest times of life. Because we know that if you can imagine for a minute a sweet spot here of caring well for people or of carrying each other's load or bearing one another's burdens, if that exists, a sweet spot, we know as we get older there's actually dangerous territory on either side of this. There's an unhealthy side on this side, over-caring, or I'm going to call it enabling. When we enable people who could do things on their own, we actually aren't helping them, right? This is why books like When Helping Hurts are written or Toxic Charity is written. Because sometimes our best desire to help carry the load of somebody else is actually hurting them and hurting their independence, their self-sufficiency. And so on the one side of this is over-caring. On the other side of this sweet spot is kind of under-caring. And that is this idea of I'm going to privatize my struggles. I'm not going to let you know where I'm struggling. I'm not going to allow you to carry a burden with me because I'm ashamed of it. I'm embarrassed. I'm afraid you're going to judge me. And so I'm not going to give you the opportunity to carry this with me. And so while we might talk about caring for one another, supporting each other through the hardest of times is a good thing. As you get older, you know it's more nuanced than that and it's more complex than that. But here's what I also know, that God knows what we are now figuring out. That God has taken a guy named the Apostle Paul to write down some things for an early letter to the early church in the province of Galatia to explain to them as this young church was trying to form and the church was getting off the ground and there were Jews and there were Gentiles coming together in the church. They're trying to figure out how do we blend the customs of the Jews with the non-customs of the Gentiles and two very different kinds of people. How do these people coming to Jesus figure out how to carry and help one another without enabling and without being too private and stepping aside. And Paul gives some incredible instructions about what should mark the church and how the church, people who are known as Christians, learn how to be friendly with one another. The lost art of friendship. It's one of the one another commands in the New Testament, one of the nine that we're covering in this series that we're going to find in the book of Galatians, chapter 6 this morning. So if you have a Bible with you, I want to invite you to turn to the small little letter. It's called Galatians um, that was written by a guy named the Apostle Paul. It's in the New Testament, which is kind of the right um, two-thirds of your Bible. Feel free to look this up on the table of contents. Small little letter, uh, just six chapters long. Paul didn't write chapters. He just kind of wrote a letter. Later on, we added chapters to help us you know, if we're sitting in church, find it. Uh, but Galatians 6, if you don't own a Bible, by the way, that Bible in the pew in the row around you is our gift to you. We'd love for you to take it with you and have it. Uh, we believe that God has written to us through the pages of the Bible there, and we find it very authoritative and powerful for life, and it can be a help to you. We'd love to have you take it. So Galatians chapter 6 um, is going to be our, our text for this morning, beginning in verse 1. And, and Paul is writing to a church is struggling with, again, Jew and Gentile. And over here are the Jews who are bringing a whole bunch of law background to their relationship with Christ. And then over here are Gentiles who don't have that background and are not used to it, and they're just kind of bringing their own perspective. And so Paul is writing to a church who's trying to figure out how do we mix together the old with the new. And here's what he says in chapter 6, verse 1. 
He says, brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Now, I'm going I'm to pause and go in and out of the text this morning because I think it's helpful to make some comments to try to help us get around it in the same way. So look at what Paul says to open up. I'm reading from the New International Version, by the way. Uh, brothers, as in like family relationships, people who I'm close to, like I, I, you, I appreciate you. If someone is caught in a sin, if someone is stuck, what, what do you do? If you're a Jew, by the way, if you're caught in a sin as a Jew, your history is you sacrifice your way out. Like if you're caught in a sin, if you're just a Jew, go to sacrifice your way out. That's what you do if you're caught in a sin. But this is different now. This is a different world. So it sounds, by the way, to us on this side of the cross, it sounds, this is kind of normal. If someone's caught in a sin, kind of love them through it. It wasn't always the way it was. If you're a Jew, the answer is, well, you work your way out. You sacrifice your way out. But he said, let me give you something different. If someone's caught in a sin, you who are spiritual, like the more spiritually mature, the ones who kind of understand what he's teaching, you should restore him gently. This is the image of a um, fishing nets that were torn. And instead of just going to whatever Home Depot and getting new fishing nets, you actually kind of sew them back up. You mend the nets. You fix them. Very important opening that Paul is saying, church, the people around you whose lives are ripped a little bit, who are carrying burdens, who are struggling and caught in stuff, when life frays them a little bit, The spirit of the church, as you come together, Jew and Gentile, all different backgrounds, the spirit of the church is we are supporters, we are fixers, we are menders of broken things. This is the nature of the gospel, and this is the nature of the church. We support the painful process, not of throwing people away and casting aside the net to get a new one, but we, church, our DNA is we fix things, we support them, we help restore. And so he's saying, restore them, restore them gently, but be careful that you don't get caught in the same thing that they were caught in. And so he goes on to explain this further. In verse 2, he kind of gives our main point for this morning. He says, carry, or in different translations, it says bear, carry or bear each other's. There's our one Greek word, uh, alelos, which means one another, carry or bear one another's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Very interesting statement. Okay, so bear one another's burdens. Carry a weight that is really heavy. Bear just simply means to walk alongside, to support, to be there with and for. You know, I had a friend in seminary, um, I had more than one sometimes, but I had a friend in seminary who, who wanted uh, help moving his piano. Okay? Now, after I did this, he was no longer a friend in the seminary. No, I'm just kidding. We, had, we lived in an apartment complex of about 200 units, and um, almost half of them from the beginning were seminary students. And so this guy, he had a, an apartment, and he and his wife moved for some unknown reason to the second level, not just the first level anymore. And he needed help moving the piano to the second level, which is awesome. We had to carry the piano, so it was four of us, four of us. We had to carry the piano up the steps, the outside exterior steps. And because the apartment complex was on a slope, like the steps that we were on, like there was more than your normal, whatever, 12 or 14 steps. There was 500 steps to get to the second floor. And we had to carry them up the entire load of steps on an outside, like steel railing thing that was just wide enough for two people to walk shoulder to shoulder. We were carrying a piano up the steps, and then when you get up, it turns this way. And so you have to actually lift the piano up, like shoulder length, and around. 
That's why he was no longer a friend. I don't even remember who it was anymore. Isn't that terrible? That didn't break our friendship. I just happened to forget who the guy was. But this is the image. Like, there is no way in the world that, that he could have carried the piano by himself. I mean, there's no way. And here's what Paul's saying. Like, when you have a piano to move in your life, when you're bearing the burden of the piano, like, you have got to have people around you to carry those burdens. But, but here's what we know about burdens. Burdens come in two parts. And let me put it this way. That they come in two parts. The first is the burden's weight, and second is the effect of that weight. And I think it's important to distinguish this. First is the weight of the piano itself, and second is the effect on my back after I've done that. Right? And both are in play when you have a burden. It's not just the weight of the piano, it's the fact that now my hands are ripped a little bit because of the way that that thing came down. My back is sore for three more days because of the weight of that. And so the burden that Paul is, is laying out here, and it's laid out in the scriptures this way, that when you have a burden, it's not enough just to identify what it is, we also have to identify the effects of that burden. So if you're having the burden of illness, what comes with that, the effects of that, is the anxiety, discouragement, and depression that you wrestle with. If you have the burden of a strained marriage, what comes with that is the effects of the disillusionment, the loss of energy, the lack of courage and vision to do what you think you should do. Every burden comes with its effect. If you go to work all day, you come home tired. That's the effect of the burden. And Paul says to the young church, these burdens are not just heavy, in their own right, but they come with, just by default, effects or weights that come along with them and don't miss that reality. And so bear one another's burdens, he says. And even in the statement of bear one another's burdens, he's basically saying, guys, we're all going to have burdens. (laughs) We all, we all have these. They're different for each one of us, but they're different. And so he immediately tries to kind of get underneath this self-sufficiency, if I put it this way, that that self-sufficient independence is a myth. The idea that somehow we can carry the piano up the steps on our own is just not ever going to work. And I know we feel like we can. I know we feel like we can get over the addiction ourselves. We feel like it's too shameful to tell someone our true story. The weight that we're carrying from our childhood or in our current thought lives or in the current addictions or struggles that we have, the pain that we have that we're going through, just too heavy a burden for someone else to bear with me. Because I don't trust. I'm afraid of judgment and shame of what might be. And here's what Paul says, like, the church is in the restoration business. We fix torn nets because we care. Because this is the story of the gospel, and it's a bear, one of those burdens. And he finishes that verse with a very interesting statement. To fulfill so that you will fulfill the law of Christ. It's the only place that this statement shows up in the whole New Testament. In fact, it's a great question of what does he actually mean to fulfill the law of Christ. But again, if you're in the context, Paul is writing to Jews and Gentiles coming together. The Jews will be thinking about what is the fulfillment of the law that I need to keep here? Like, what is my duty? And and people ask Jesus this question all the time. Like, Jesus, what is my duty to my neighbor? This this, uh, young teacher asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? When he's uh, about to introduce the story of the Good Samaritan. Because he wants to know, what is the legal requirement that I have to do to be neighborly to you? What is the minimum amount that I need to do to be good with God? And Paul reframes the law in light of Christ. And he says, if you want the law, let me give you the law. 
The law is do what Christ has done. Go to the cross for the purpose of bringing redemption and restoration to all who are broken, which is all of us. And so you'll fulfill the law, but not the law of Moses. You're going to fulfill the law of Christ by asking the question, who around me is carrying a burden and what effect is it having? And how can I, as a part of the church, carry that with them? It's a powerful opening concept. The problem with bearing burdens, the problem with sharing burdens, is the problem of humanity. And that is a problem of conceit. It doesn't take long when we learn to share burdens with each other for a little bit of conceit to settle in. Did you hear about their marriage? I mean, we're going we're gonna to pray for them. But I'm glad I'm not in that marriage. Did you, you know about their kids? I mean, they keep making these financial decisions. I don't know why they do that, but I mean, hey, we'll, we'll help them. And these whispers go on in the background. And what's underneath them is this conceit of, boy, I'm glad your burden is not mine. Which is why we're afraid to share any of our burdens. And look what Paul says next in verse 3. If anyone thinks he is something... When he is nothing, he, he deceives himself. He's addressing that very issue. Be careful, please, when you go about the work of burden-bearing, lest you be tempted by conceit to think somehow, just because I don't have a financial problem, these people are a problem. Just because I don't have a marriage problem, just because I don't have an addiction problem, be careful, Paul says, lest you deceive yourself into thinking that somehow we have a right to stand in moral judgment on the people whom we are caring for. Be very careful, lest you trick yourself into living a false reality. And then he goes on, verse 4. Each one should test his own actions. This is what he's trying to help us correct with. In other words, before you think about how to care for one another, stop and consider, why am I interested in helping? And are my motives right here? Or do I just care that somehow your downfall will help me feel like a better person? Because I don't have your problems. Thank the Lord. Be careful. He says, test yourself. Test yourself. And he goes on to say some more strange things. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to someone else. So wait a minute. So I'm supposed to take pride in myself? <laughs> and what he's saying here, I think, is simply, as he clarifies it so that you won't compare yourself to someone else, that helps me understand what Paul is saying. He said, as, so that you're not comparing yourself, quote-unquote, take pride, in that you have seen your life through the lens of the gospel. In other words, that you see that before God you are no different than don't deceive yourself so that you can be like, I stand before both myself and God in my support and care for you. Whether you fall into sin or not, just a struggle, a burden, something you're carrying, that I can stand before God and say, I'm next to you as a friend. I'm not here to give you pity. I'm not here to look down on. I'm not even comparing myself to you. But I kind of, quote unquote, take pride. I feel resolved in my position that I'm here for you and with you. 
Which brings to this very important point, and that is simply, uh, simply this, that, that we want to bear burdens with people, not for them. Right? Like We want to bear burdens with people and not for them. We don't want to take over for them where they should do their own work. In, in fact, here's what Paul, how he finishes this, and this is highly confusing, in verse 5. He says, he concludes this thought, for each one should carry his own load. But Paul, I have a question. I thought you just said that we should bear each other's burdens. And now just a couple of verses later, you're telling me, but each one should carry his own load. So I don't know, Paul, but it doesn't seem like you can have it both ways. Like, I don't know how we can bear each other's burdens, and then in the same breath, I mean, if you hold your breath long enough, you can get to verse 5 from verse 1. Yeah, we get to verse 5. Carry your own load. What? These are two different words that Paul wrote, two different words that Paul used. And it's a beautiful image, powerful image he uses in verse 5. The word for load used in verse 5 is actually the word that is used to describe a pack that a soldier carries into battle. Imagine for a minute, if you were to go into battle with your friends, and you were to say, you know what, that pack looks heavy. Why don't I carry it for you? And no good soldier would say, sure, thank you for being a friend. In fact, they would say, do you want me to die? I need this weight, this burden, this responsibility. I need it for survival. In fact, if you take the weight, the pack, off the soldier's back, you are essentially offering him a death sentence in battle. There are responsibilities that each one of us must take. They are light enough to be carried alone. They aren't the piano, they're the piano bench. Okay? They're the things that can be handled and need to be handled on our own. They're the responsibilities that we have. And it is an injustice to do for people what they could do on their own. That is the overcaring or the enabling, not empowering. Which is why we say that to bear burdens, we want to do them with people and not for people. And I love the way in, in Toxic Charity, Robert Lupton writes it. He says it this way. Giving to those in need what they could be gaining from their own initiative may well be the kindest way to destroy people. And I think he's right on point. If you want to destroy someone, take their pack from them. Take their responsibility from them. Take their dignity from them. Take the things away from them that they need to figure out for their own survival. Like That is not a loving thing to do. Each one is responsible before God for their own actions, yes. But there are times, and Paul knows this, there are times when the burden is simply too big. You can't move the piano to the second floor by yourself. Which is why we need to bear our burdens with people and not for them. Right? We need to come alongside in friendship, not in pity. Come alongside in love, not in judgment. Because this is what the church does. It is in that mending, if you will, business. And so as I think about this reality, this is a powerful concept for me. Because what Paul is saying is the friendship of the church, the relationships in the church from the very beginning, from the, very, from the jump, are to be a, be a church where you can find a place to share your story. 
You can find a place to bear your burden, have it borne with you. You can find a place where there isn't going to be judgment, which, by the way, we're going to talk about next week in further detail, the concept of judgment. But there's going to be a place where you can find people who will share the burden with you. The challenge is just figuring out in our society now, how in the world do we do this? How in the world does this work? For people who see each other an hour, two, three a week, some of us interact in different ways in different places, how is it, church, that we can carry the spirit of the early church, our forefathers in the faith, through all of our life? I have a couple questions that may help you. I hope they do. They've helped me. First question I ask myself as I think about how does this come down, what can I take from these ideas is this question, what do I hear around me? What do I hear around me? Let me clarify that. In other words, when you think about the stories your friends are telling you, your teammates, your employees, your family, You ask them, hey, how's it going this week? How was your weekend? What's going on for you right now? We're just kind of feeling around in conversation, just seeing generally how people are doing. You begin to hear, if you're a good listener, you begin to hear repeated themes. You begin to hear repeated stressors. You begin to hear that things aren't maybe perfect at home, but they're making it work. You begin to hear about what's actually happening with the kids. You begin to sense the financial stress that your employees are under, that they may not come right out and say that they're under, but they are. You begin to sense the anxiety that people have. You begin to sense these things as conversations happen, if I'm listening well. And so I begin to ask this question, what what do I need to hear around me? What are the stories that are repeated? What are the narratives that are told that are happening right in front of me, if I can listen well? The, The second question I ask myself is simply this, and that is, if I had that weight, if I had the weight of that burden, what effect would it have on me? If I carried that burden, if I had that family struggle, if I had that marriage struggle, if I had that relational thing, if I had this future worry or concern, if I carried that, what effect would that have on me? And this is simply taking a moment to walk in the other person's shoes. This is empathy. This is stepping in and beginning to think, wait a minute, if they're carrying that burden, every burden has an effect. Every burden has two parts to it, the weight of it and the effect of it. What is that effect and what might it have on them? And if I begin to ask that question, it can change the way that I see my interaction with you, my support of you, my interest in you. Now, everyone needs to be invited to bear a burden. In fact, it's uninvited. Unless we are willing to invite people to carry the burden, it comes as an unwelcome affront to tell someone, boy, you must really be struggling with that, aren't you? I've been listening well, and I can pick up that you're highly stressed about your wife. Isn't that right? We could be even ruder if we wanted to, right? And so we know that there's a sense that someone has to be open and willing to have their burden shared. And the reality is, the people around you and the people around me know the burden and struggle that I carry faster than I do. You know people who are struggling with burdens right now in their own marriage, in their own families, in their own future hopes but they're holding it in. They're tight around it because of the shame and judgment that will come. And you see it. I mean, I just wish they'd ask for help because we're here to help them. The the reality is people see that about me too, and maybe about you. People around us are loving, caring, ready to fix and mend the nets of our lives. But we have to be willing. 
in the right context, in the right way, to share these stories and allow our burdens to be born. And so then I ask this final question, that is, who should I open up to so that the myth of independent self-sufficiency doesn't slowly consume me? Not only whose burdens might I need to bear, not only who might I need to listen to well, but also as I personally reflect and test myself, as Paul says in Galatians. Who is it that, that I need to open up to? Who, who is it that, that I need to look at? and Say, so, you know, I, before I fool myself into thinking that I can get on top of the problem that I have not been able to get on top of for the last year, for the last five years, for my lifetime, before I fool myself into this, come on, who... Who do I need to talk to who can help me bear this burden? Because this is the nature of the church. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what that would feel like? To have a place, to have the church be the place where you can say and answer this question. Well, you know who I can open up to? You know who can bear my burdens? You know who I can be myself with? You know who I can, pardon the expression, let my hair down with? You know who I can do that with? These people. These people I know from Grace Point Church, my friend circles and my family circles. If you don't have that space, I don't know how, I don't know how, you will get through the weight of life. I don't know how. One of the things I want to encourage you to do, by the way, is I want to encourage you to consider... What is it that I need to do in my own heart to be more open to sharing, to creating spaces with the people around me? Some people here at GPC have decided, you know what? I need a friendship circle. I need to create, step into a small group space. I don't know if they have any here or not, but I need to create that. We're going to do that. And just have whoop, done it. By the way, did you know you're allowed to do stuff like that? And while we are working hard as a staff to try to create spaces for adults to connect well to one another, and by the way, I'd encourage you to come to our vision meeting in a couple weeks to hear about that. I'm very excited about the work Greg is doing in creating spaces for adults to one another, one another, to do these things with one another. He's doing some great work. I encourage you to come hear that. And we want to kind of renovate some of that here to provide more space in our systems for people to connect to each other. But it's going to take you and me and in our heart to say, I want that. I want a space where I am not going to be stuck into independent self-sufficiency, but I'm willing to have my burden borne with other people. And can you imagine for a minute what it would be like to have a church that does this kind of thing with the passion and courage of the early church that says, yep, we're here to fix the nets. They're ripped in all one of us, every one of us. I don't have it down right? No, nope, I don't. Do you? No. Nope. Am I going to judge you? No. Nope. You struggling with addiction? Welcome to the club. You struggling with uh, family problems? Welcome to the club. You made some bad financial decisions? Welcome to the club. You're struggling in disciplines, you're struggling in this, you can't pay this, you can't support that, you're down on yourself, you're depressed, you look at yourself in the mirror, you think you're a loser, welcome to the club, here we are, here we are. Every one of us has nets that are broken. And can you imagine a place where we can bear those burdens with each other and carry those pianos up the steps so we can make it work? Because that is the story and that is the nature of the gospel and the hope of Jesus Christ. In that we fulfill the law of Christ in what he came to do. It's a powerful, powerful concept. 
Who can you listen to? What would it feel like to be in their shoes? And who do you need to open up to as we together bear one another's burdens? I invite you back next week where we're going to talk about how we can judge each other really well. That is going to be fun. Will you pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, I thank you for the chance to be together this morning and to come around this idea of caring well for one another without enabling and without hiding from each other. And this is a big ask to be willing to be vulnerable with people. It requires trust. It requires a layer of openness that our busy schedules sometimes don't allow or we simply would prefer not to step into. But what a powerful idea it is that we can fulfill the law of Christ. We can live out the hope of the gospel by creating spaces where we can bear the burdens that we have with one another. And so I pray that you would give us the courage to ask these questions and to do what we know we need to do in the spaces where we live. We thank you for your love and your care for us, and we pray this in Jesus' name.